How is everybody tonight? Well, Paul's excited. <laughs> At least there's one person here that's excited. Thanks, Paul. Um, so welcome here. I'm Pastor Yasmin. Like you said, if you weren't too sure who I am, that's me. Um, we are going to um, continue our unfinished series. You're going to see today that we're in the final chapter of the book of Acts. So we're going to dig right in and get going. Um, to me, it's flown by, but there's been 14 messages over the course of these few months just in this unfinished series. I know we took a little bit of a break and we did reno time, but we've done 14 different messages, but this series could have been much, much longer. There is so much good stuff in the book of Acts, and well, we know Pastor John, and it could have been, you know, two or three years that it could have taken us to get to the book of Acts, and rightfully so, because there's just that much good stuff in here. So um, we're going to finally finish the unfinished series. Well, sort of. Um, as we go into the last chapter, I'm going to suggest to you today that it will never finish, that it will remain unfinished, uh, that it will never actually conclude that it will keep going like the song that doesn't end the book of acts points to the points us back to the fact that we have a foundation that's forged in an incredible past that invites us into this reality that there's a power available to us in the present that power is the holy spirit that shapes and guides this entire book also, as we'll see today, the book of Acts presents us with a vision that presses towards the future. In many ways, as we come to Acts chapter 28, and we come to the end of the book, we really find ourselves at the beginning. The God, the same God, who through his spirit writes this book, is not done telling his story. That this book the book of Acts, and the scriptures as a whole are very dynamic, and it's a living book. It is not static. That they are grounded in ancient truths, and yet point us to this glorious future. So if you're joining us for the first time today, in here or online, you're like, oh great, I just got to the very end of the series. But what you're going to see as I speak today, that in many ways it's actually just the beginning. So it's the perfect time to tune in. So I'm going to give you a brief summary of what we sort of looked at over the last few months to catch you up in a very condensed version. So Dr. Luke is the author of this book, um, and it's a book of history, an account of the way that God shaped and formed his church. It's an account on the way that God sends the Holy Spirit into the life of believers. The Spirit drives them, shapes them, forms them, bursts the church, and launches the church onto, on a mission. So these 28 chapters span with more than 30 years of history, like three decades of history in the book of Acts. We have seen things that have also taken place in three different continents in that time. Right? So we have the church that birthed, is birthed in Jerusalem, which is on the continent of Asia. We have the gospel that continues to go forth as Paul starts to take it to the ends of the earth. He sets up shop in the Mediterranean, in Europe, 
We also saw in Acts chapter 8 that the Ethiopian eunuch is converted to Christ. He comes to know the Lord, and then he goes back and serves in his hometown. So we have Asia and Europe and Africa all represented in this book. Then we had 14 church plants by the Apostle Paul alone. Now we know that many other churches find their roots in this time period as well. But we have the Apostle Paul traveling over 10,000 miles on missionary journeys by land and by sea. Then in Acts 2 and Acts 4, we get the blueprint for the church. The fact that this church is supposed to be this beautiful, subversive, generous, gracious community. Where people are invited in. Where they say to Caesar, and remember back then the tagline used to be, Caesar is our Lord, and now there's none other than Jesus. Jesus is Lord, the only Lord. They pointed each other to scriptures, there was teachings, there was learnings, there was meals together. There's this beautiful culture that started to develop amongst the community of the believers. We saw the church develop leadership. We see the church develop a vision, and we see the church continue to move forward. That's the story we found ourselves in over the last 28 chapters of the book of Acts. In this book, here's what else you'll see. We'll see that the work that Jesus continues to do through the Spirit and the formation of his church. So today, as we come to an end... We might come to the, the end of this book, the book of Acts, but you're going to see as I jump in is it's not actually this ending that you necessarily might be comfortable with. It's not an ending that has this nice little bow on it that tells you how to live. Or the curtains are drawn, right? And it's this big grand finale. We're actually left with wanting more at the end of this book. That the ending that Dr. Luke gives us in this book, we may not be okay with. So if you turn to Acts 28, that's where we're going to be today, if you have your Bibles. I will be putting it on the screen for online and in here. I'm actually going to be starting in verse 23, and then going backwards to the beginning, and then returning back to 23. So we're going to be all over um, Acts chapter 28 today. So Paul has finally arrived in Rome. It was his prayer, it was his hope that he didn't arrive like he thought he would, though, right? He arrived as a prisoner after a shipwreck, but he finally gets to Rome. He finds himself on house arrest, and on house arrest, people come to him, and they visit, and he's going to continue to teach them. And there's a number of prominent Jewish leaders in the city of Rome who come to visit Paul in prison and on house arrest. And this is verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from um, the prophets. I love this because like, he's still in jail under house arrest and he's still preaching. He's still talking about the kingdom. It's about Jesus, right? It's not about Paul and what's happening with Paul. And 24, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to you, your fathers, through Isaiah the prophet. Now what he's about to say here next 
isn't going to earn them any friends. You're going to see that many of them will be out of there, out of this point. Because Paul isn't running a PR campaign. He doesn't care how many likes or hearts that he gets on social media. He's there to deliver the truth about what Jesus is and about what he is doing. So the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but not perceive. For these people's hearts have grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed. Least they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. So those kind of things aren't really going to make you a lot of friends. Therefore, let it be known to you that this is salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with boldness and without hindrance. So we're going to go through more of that in a little bit. But that's the end. I want you to, we want to start at the end. That's the end. The curtains are drawn. The credits roll. It's the end. Are you kidding me? After 30 years, 28 chapters, 14 sermons, and he's still in prison? And he's still preaching? It's just this completely unresolved ending, completely open-ended, left with us to wrestle with. Does anyone here like those types of stories? Maybe books that end like that? Maybe movies? that end like that, those cliffhanger endings of movies, the end, and you're like, no, there has to be another scene. There has to be another scene. There's more to come, right? So just a confession, and remember, this is a safe place. My teenage daughter, well, then teenage daughter, because it was so long ago, convinced us to take her to the Hunger Games, um, the first one many years ago. So not my kind of movie, okay? So not my kind of movie. Two hours and three minutes of my life I'll never get back. But we get to the end. I'm invested. I'm trying to be a good parent here. I'm trying to see what she's interested in. I'm so invested in this movie, and I get to the end, and I'm like, part one? What are you talking about, right? Like, you're just sitting there. Are you kidding me? I needed an ending. I needed it to finish. I needed to see how it ended, right? And there's lots of books that do this, especially like series. When they have series, they want you to read the next book. Um, just, they just want you to want more, right? Like to come back to watch more or to read more. Uh, sometimes the end is just not really the end, right? And they're called unresolved endings, which you'll see those in a lot of movies that are out there these days. Um, and this leaves the readers or the movie watchers wanting more and asking actually more questions than they had from when they began the movie, right? Uh, they just want a little bit more. Well, the scriptures actually have this technique in there too. Uh, the book of uh, Jonah, the prophet Jonah, which many people know Jonah and the whale, is called to go to Nineveh to preach the good news of what God is of who God is and what he's done. And at the very end of the book of Jonah, chapter 4, verse 11, I'll never forget the first time I read that book, he's been this wildly successful evangelist, against his own desires, though, right? Because anybody who knows 
Um, the story knows I'm putting that mildly because he's literally swollen, swallowed by a whale and spit up onto dry land. And then he finally decides to go and preach, right? Not exactly the most willing, but he goes. And at the end of this story, he's sitting under this little tree. And here's what it says. And should I not pity Nineveh? This is God speaking to Jonah the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. What? Like, I read this and I'm like, is there a chapter missing out of this book for me? Like, I'm just so confused. It just leaves it all open-ended, right? And then this one, which I want to share, because many of you may not know this. If you go to the book of Mark... There's 20 verses in chapter 16 in most of the common um, books or the Bibles now, like the different versions. But there's a little note that it'll say in your Bible, so if you have it here, I encourage you to look, have an either an S, like they'll have a little star and then they'll have a comment or they'll have like a bracket. It depends on the, um, the type that you have. But in verse 8, it'll say from the most earliest manuscripts, don't actually include verses 9 through 20 that those verses don't actually, like, weren't there. It wasn't part of the original. And this is the way that the original ends. So just with chapter 16, verse 8, was where it should end. And they went out and fled from the tomb. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. That's it. Done. It's so difficult. It was so difficult for people later that transcribers had to like tidy it up and add an extended, nicer, cleaner ending onto it, which is what I think we often like to do in life, right? Well, sometimes anyways, the story ends a little prematurely or not the way that we like in our minds. And we go, well, I could have come up with a better ending. I love the way that Eugene Peterson says this. Great pastor and scholar. And he is writing about the book of Mark. He, Mark, has just brought a completely new genre of literature into being, a gospel. But instead of wrapping it up as a finished product so we could admire his genius, at the last minute he steps aside and hands us the pen. And says, here, you write it. Write a resurrection conclusion with your life. Brilliant. I think it's the same thing with the book of Acts. I think it's the same thing that's being done here. It doesn't give us all the answers. And would you agree with me, and I'm sure most of you would, that we live in a culture that at times really likes the answer. You think about the way that we build our education, okay? It's all around information. Here's a list of things that you need to know. Here's a list of facts that you need to know. Here's a list of things that you need to get into your head. And I think that this is a good thing, but things are starting to change. Because basically what we view as, as the end or the destination is an answer, and scriptures often don't invite us to have the answer. They invite us into the story. 
The scriptures are just as much about an invitation as they are about information, about inviting us in, not with a nice tidy bow that's wrapped up at the top end of the story. Credits roll and people live happily ever after. But an invitation into a story, to step into it. I think it's made it hard for us in this modern day to really accept this and to struggle with and to wrestle with it because in many ways, faith is a list of what we believe. It's this information thing again. We believe this about God. We believe this about the Spirit. And I'm not saying that these are bad things. I'm just saying that if you go back and you read the scriptures, that the early followers of Jesus, I'm convinced... We're more interested in inviting people into a story than they were about giving people all of the answers. And so the book of Acts ends and you go, there's got to be more. And I think in the day and time that we live in, we really need to embrace this, church. It is not a bad thing to not have all the answers. This is an invitation from God that we have this unique opportunity to step back into because information just doesn't carry the same weight as it used to. Every one of you in this room probably has a phone in their pocket or sitting right in front of you. You can find out information about almost anything on that device. It is at your fingertip. And I think the church needs to really embrace this invitation culture, not just to have all the answers. The answers are important. So don't hear that I'm saying that they're not. The answers are important. But invitation to the story, inviting people in to the story, is the way that the book of Acts ends. And maybe, just maybe, there is more power in this than we've ever realized. Maybe there's more power in invitation than we realized. Maybe formation begins with invitation, not information. What if, what if, our goal as followers of Jesus was to not give people all of the answers or the things that we think are right or wrong, but to live such a countercultural life that you invite people into the story? What if? What if that was your actual goal? Not just to have all the right answers, but to live a life that demands people to ask the questions and wrestle with the questions. I love the way that author pastor Dallas Willard puts this when he says this. The trouble with the way that we teach doctrine is the way we say you should believe this whether you believe it or not. Is that true? That is the way that we talk about our faith. You should just believe this because it's right, whether you really believe it or not. But I think what we see in the book of Acts and what we see throughout all the scriptures is not an invitation to believe something, but to actually be a part of something. But the book of Acts does end. It ends in chapter 28. 
and I think it ends beautifully. And I want to prove that to you. It follows this story arc that has been set out to tell. It's actually an amazing story. Listen to the way that it begins. Now, if you remember from some of our information and our history, the book of Acts is actually Luke's second book. So when we begin this, we're in Luke chapter 1, and then Acts follows, right? So the very first one, so in the first book, so this is Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. As if to say, I'm simply continuing the story of Jesus. Although he died and was risen and ascended to heaven, he is not done writing his story with his church through the Spirit. That's the first verse of these books. That's what it says. Then the third verse says that Jesus came and taught the apostles for 40 days. Well, what was the content of his message? What was he teaching them for 40 days? That last line, speaking about the kingdom of God. And now, because I read you the ending, what does Paul end the book of Acts telling them about? The kingdom of God. He ends it in jail, preaching the same message that Jesus begins this book preaching. And then, verse 8. Many of you have this one memorized. It may be sort of part of your calling as a follower of Jesus. I believe it really gives us some structure to the book of Acts. Almost kind of sums it up. Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, if that's your thesis for the book, doesn't it end perfectly? It doesn't end with the end. In fact, on the contrary, it ends with an invitation. It ends with this is just the beginning. Paul's in jail, but he's preaching, and his gospel goes forward without hindrance. Nothing can stop it. And hear me today, if you hear nothing else today, Jesus is still writing his story. He is still writing his story. The end of the book of Acts does not mean that he is done, that it is over. In fact, the way the book, the book ends invites us to believe that we are a part of what he's continuing to do. That's good stuff. So here's the way I will say it for us today. We're going to wrestle with this a little bit as I'm halfway through. <laughs> um, here's the truth of the matter. And this might offend some people. The scriptures don't only tell us information. They don't only tell us the story of Jesus. That's not their only intention. Just to give us a bunch of information. The scriptures don't only tell the story of Jesus, it's better than that. They invite us into the life of Jesus. You see, stories can either end a conversation or begin one. The book of Acts ends with this wonderful, beautiful invitation, like, will you join me? Will you jump in? Will you be a part of this? What God's doing? 
because he's continuing to write. This book might end. The Bible might not have new sections attached to it. But he's continuing to write on the pages of people's hearts and lives of those who call him King and Lord. Look at a way that N.T. Wright, he's a New Testament scholar, great initials for a New Testament scholar. N.T. Wright puts it like this. The authority of the Bible is the authority of a love story in which we are invited to take part. So it ends with this question. Will you give your life to this story? Will you jump in? Not just dip your toes in the water, but will you jump in both feet because God is still at work and God is still moving. Jesus is still continuing to do through his church, our church, through his spirit, what the book of Acts records for us in the first 30 years. He's still doing it. It hasn't ended. You know, your story, your, your life will be given to something. Every single one of you will give your life for something. We're designed as humans to be clingers of sorts. We attach our energy and our time and our resources and our money to things that either can cause our lives to end with us or cause our story to continue this ripple effect into eternity. So someone very special to our church died recently, in the last couple weeks, very suddenly too. His name is Wes Heyer. Um, many of you probably know him. And as I've been reading posts about him, I've talked to his family, and I've been thinking a lot about Wes and his family this last couple weeks. And when I was preparing this message, I thought about his servanthood and the way that he attached his life to the people in his life and to the God that he served. Wes attached himself to eternal purposes, God, people, serving. And it just really reminded me of the reality that our lives, my life, is attached to something. And the question is, will it be trivial or will it be eternal? Will it be a story that continues to go on? Will we attach our song to the song that has no end? Or will it just simply end with you? The question I think that many of us are probably going to struggle with today and I struggle with, is how in the world do we do that? How do we do that? In a very real way, tell me what that looks like. Well, I'm glad you've asked. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to point out a few things that happen in Acts 28 that we haven't looked at yet that show us how to graft our story into, by God's grace and mercy, the story that has no end. 
because the book of Acts does not provide us with an ending, a how-to. It provides us with an invitation. So how are we to jump in? So Acts 28, verse 3. So Paul is still on the island of Malta. If you were here last week, you will remember that they just went through a huge storm, right? A huge thing to get there, shipwreck. They swam to the land, the, the land, and in verse 3, we pick up there in the story. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. So, boom, like, like a superhero, just shook it off and was like, what now? Right? Bring it. I can just picture him saying that, right? Um, and then you go a little further down to verse 6, and it says, They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said, that he was a god. So he goes from murdering thief, as validated by a snake, right, that's God's justice to them, to this guy's amazing, he must be a god. In just a brief moment, that happened. And here's what you're going to learn about the life of Paul, which we have been learning about the life of Paul, is you see him get beat up right? Go through the storms. You see people betraying him. Things do not go the way that they're planned to go. But every single time, he continues to trust that God is good, that he's present, that he, and then he puts one foot in front of the other. If he's in jail, he's going to preach Jesus. If he's on dry land, he's going to preach Jesus. If he's in the open sea, he's going to preach Jesus. If he gets a snake hanging from his hand, he's going to flick it off into the fire and preach Jesus. Again, this is who Paul was. He was persistent. So my first point is persistent. He was convinced that God was continuing to tell his story through his life. He believed in his mission and had a vision for a better future. If you and I are going to have stories that are grafted into the story, we need to embrace this type of DNA. That it won't be easy. It won't always be comfortable. But if you're going to attach our lives to the life of Jesus, that sometimes there's going to be times that we do need to flick that snake off into the fire and continue to walk forward. There just will be those times. And if your theology tells you that it's going to be a walk in the park, you just haven't got that from Scripture. It's just not the truth. So my next point, point number two, picking up in verse 15. So he's finally, so Paul is finally getting to Rome. Paul had written the church in Rome. He'd written to them two times saying that he just can't wait to get there. Finally, after years of waiting, years of praying, years of wondering if it's even going to happen, it does happen for him. Verse 15. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. 
On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldiers who guarded him. Don't you just wonder as he like walked into Rome what that overwhelming feel of joy must have been? Like, thank God. Like, you're good on your promise. You were faithful to deliver what he'd stirred in his heart and he longed to happen, that he'd preach the gospel in the center point of the known world. And he was faithful and he got there. But here's the thing. It didn't look like anything like Paul thought it was going to look like. He's a prisoner when he gets there. It doesn't happen in the way that he may have crafted it to happen, but Jesus is good, and I think he's looking for people who are dreamers. And let me explain what I mean by the word dreamers. I think he's looking for people that would ask the Spirit, what's the hope that you're going to plant in my heart? What's the desire you've given me? And as he affirms that in us and that we trust that he would be good and that he would be faithful on his promises, I don't know how many days and evenings and nights Paul must have laid awake in bed or in jail wondering if this was ever going to happen. Like, God, are you going to let this happen? Are you going to be good on your promise? Did you just stir this in me, this hope to preach there, this hope to go there just to let me down? Or are you going to be good on what you said? And you see, most of us, we step out of the story of God, the story God is telling, when we let those dreams die, when we give in to that. I meet with people every week, and I would say at least three to four times in a month, I have somebody say to me, here's what I thought, here's what I prayed into this is what god showed me and what i was believing here's what i longed to see jesus do and yet they let the dream die they gave up i just want to tell you it didn't happen overnight for paul it probably most likely will not happen overnight for you whatever that dream whatever that prayer is that you long for don't let that dream die. It could be praying for that kid who's wandering away. Don't let that die. Keep praying. Keep having hope. Keep longing that Jesus will use your life as you reach out to people with hope of the gospel and the glory of Jesus. Keep longing for Jesus to use you. Figure out what that looks like in your environment, in your home, in your workplace. Don't give up on the dream, the purposes that he has for you. Because when we give up on the dream, it's like we step out of the story. Paul doesn't step out. He keeps hoping, he keeps praying, he keeps longing, and Jesus is good on his promises. And then we get back to verse 23, where I began, where we're going to find my third point. So Paul is in jail on house arrest. When they had appointed a day for him, so all these Jewish leaders are going to come and they're going to come and question Paul. They have the authority to either say, let this guy go or put him on trial. They came to him and his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. So this part's cool. 
So here's what he does in jail, in chains. He's chained to a Roman guard, and he says, all right, Jewish leaders, how about we just use your book then? Is that cool with you? Let me show you why you should believe in the slain and the risen lamb, Jesus the Messiah. He is what your hope was in throughout the ages, and God has been faithful. In jail, he continues to preach Jesus. And here's what you see. Not only are people who are grafted their story into the story of God, not only are they persistent, not only are they dreamers with purposes, but they're also people who are bold risk-takers. Boldness. Who are willing to stand on their convictions, even when life gets difficult. And the truth about Apostle Paul is that he was convinced about the message that he brought. But get this, he was connected to the giver of that message. And he was overflowing with love for the people who he delivered the message to. And if we're going to live lives of boldness, which I think our culture needs desperately, It is not going to be by pulling up your bootstraps and saying, I'm going to be bold. That's not what it takes. It takes people who are convinced of this message, absolutely convinced of this message, who are connected to the messenger and absolutely love, not as projects, but as people, all races, all cultures, all genders, all everything, absolutely love the people that we have the honor of delivering this message to. That's boldness. Here's the last thing that we see in Paul's life, verse 25. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. So I've read this before, but... The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your father through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will not hear but never understand. You will see but not perceive. For these people, these people's hearts have grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed. Least we should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. So here's what Paul does. His final act in the book of Acts and he's saying, listen, I know you're standing in Rome right now as Jewish leaders, but the scripture talks about you. The scriptures testify about you standing here in this place right now. So what he does is he takes ancient scriptures that at that point are centuries old, and he pulls them into the presence present and says you are standing in what Isaiah the prophet talked about this is prophetic and it's an announcement by Paul it's what all people who are graft who graft their story into the story of God do they operate in this now half of you are probably thinking I've gone too far that a lot of people don't like this word right And then the other half of you are probably thinking I didn't go far enough. But here's the thing. This is the part I want you to pick up on. He takes the scriptures 
and he applies them to the people he's interacting with. He takes the scriptures and he applies them to the people he's interacting with. He says, this is where you stand right now. God was talking about you. And anybody that finds their story in the story of God, and I think you kind of have to read the scriptures at first a little bit like that, first and foremost, in that way. But then as the Spirit stirs in us and you get this invitation from God, and we say to the people around us and sometimes to the culture, this is where we stand. Because here's what I'm convinced about. Here's what we are convinced about, that this isn't the end of the story, that it's just the beginning. That we're invited not to just read about God, but to interact with God and to walk with God. And not just to tell the story of Jesus, but to enter into the life of Jesus. I think God's looking for people who hear his voice and declare for a better tomorrow. Who step into the void with what is and what could be and say God is still at work. He's still writing his story and in some mysterious, amazing, gracious way, he's using your life and my life to be a part of that. Like, Worship team, you can come up. I love being a pastor at this church, at the neighborhood church. And I think in many ways, we do embrace this reality that God is still at work and that he is telling his story. I love that weekend after weekend, we gather here, um, whether it's in this sanctuary, online, in our neighborhood groups, that we gather and we declare the goodness and the grace of Jesus. And we wrap our hearts and our lives around his life. I think for the most part, we try and do that. But when you give to the church, we declare that the story is still being written. When you give to missions or to local charities, you're declaring that the story is still being written. When our kids are loved here, and pointed to Jesus, we're still declaring that the story is still being written. When you reach out with your time or your energy or your resources or you come along people who are hurting and you tell them that there's a better tomorrow and you share Jesus, the story is still being written. When you give your life to somebody who's maybe younger than you, maybe in a different stage of marriage, maybe just not quite as far along as you, and you get into like a mentoring relationship or a rela whatever, you're declaring that the story is still being written. Moms, dads who sacrifice daily, getting up early, money, oh, trying to get along with your teenagers, trying to teach them the right way, sharing the love of Jesus with them, you're declaring that their story is still being written. There's people here that gather and they write songs together, they, they paint together, they make music together. They're still declaring that Jesus' story is still being written. There are songs that are left to be sung. 
people who are reaching out to their neighbors, inviting friends to church. Patrick invited somebody to church today. He's declaring that the story is still being written. It's why the book of Acts doesn't end with this nice clean bow with curtains to close and credits to roll. We do not read the scriptures in a way that say happily ever after. We read the scriptures in a way where God says, welcome to the party. And so the book of Acts ends with Paul in jail proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. It's important that you see that part because Luke adds that in for us just so we know that the gospel is not in chains. Paul is in chains, yes, but he says, no, this story is going forward with boldness and without hindrance. It is never ending. It is unfinished. It will remain an unfinished story. And when we attach our story to his, we enter into something that's eternal. Like, when you get that, that we get to be a part of that, And with every great story, the book of Acts ends in a way that invites you to begin. It's not clean ending. It's a beautiful invitation. Let's stand. We're going to pray. We're going to respond to this message. Father God, I, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that we even have an opportunity to be a part of it. That you can use us for your kingdom. That we can have eternal life through you, Jesus. And Lord, in, in so many ways, I think we do long for clean, nice endings, that happily ever after. But Lord, I thank you that you're so much better than that. Rather than giving us all the information, you give us this invitation, not just to answers, but to come and to follow you and to build your church as you build your kingdom. Father, I thank you that you can bind the broken hearts, that you can provide freedom to captives, and that no matter what we've done or where we've been, that you invite us to play a part. Would you stir us, stir on us in our hearts and our minds a desire to say yes to this invitation today? Whether this is the first time or not, maybe we just need to get back there, Father. Be committed again to this story a desire to live it out, a desire to surrender our lives to you and be used in this love story. And Father, we'll give you all the glory and all the praise. I thank you for the fact that you first loved us 
And Father, I would just pray that you use these scriptures, that you use your scriptures to point us to the living word, Jesus. Holy Spirit, please teach us. Stir us up. Stir up change. Shape us more and more into the image of you each day. In Jesus' name we pray.